the you kind of like this guy, but when you can't decide between the filet o fish or the Big Mac, and he says, I'll get you both. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> like this guy meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Forevermark, a diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer cold gold men, that's G-O-L-D-M-E-N, at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here as usual with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week we have on yet another amazing guest, and she is going to be basically the whole show, and you'll know why when you hear her talk. Peggy Siegel is a hostess and publicist. She is the force behind many of the best events in Oscar season in New York City and beyond Oscar season. She knows every voter in the Academy to hear her talk. Uh, We've all been to her various lunches and dinners throughout the season. Um, And she just got back from the BAFTA Awards because she's that kind of mover and shaker. Uh, If you want to know what kind of force she is in New York City, you can read a Sunday Styles profile in the New York Times that just came out about her. Or you can listen to her sound check in which you ask her a simple question like, how was your week? And this is what you get. So Peggy, can you just talk into the mic and just tell us something about your day today? My day? I just returned from a week in London where I went for the BAFTAs. And I used to go like on a Thursday or Friday because the BAFTAs are on a Sunday. Now I go the week before. <laughs> I oh, arrive, yeah. I arrive like Sunday morning. I went to Goodwood, which is this amazing st- estate that makes Downton Abbey look shabby. And Lord <laughs> Marsh has, uh, he had a hunt ball. I missed the ball the night before, the white tie hunt ball, but I went there for lunch and races over fences and saw a horse die. That's very No, had Abbey. a heart attack. Oh, my Went God. over the last jump. And struggled up the hill and flipped on its side. The rider jumped off, knew exactly what had happened. He fluttered his legs, and that was it. The ambulance came. They put a green screen around him. I mean, they didn't shoot him in the head because he was dead, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it was like, oh, he was doing what he loved, and he was an old horse. Wow. I, of course, ran over to see this dead horse and was pulled away by Lady Marsh. And <laughs> then I went into uh, town and stayed at the Chilton Firehouse, which Andre Balaz owns, and it's sort of the hub of all the... Um, actors and and the, the restaurant and the bar and everything when all the um, uh, entertainment uh, awards are in town it's always a great place to stay and he's wonderful and on Wednesday night I gave a dinner for a hundred filmmakers and this had started no four years ago and I had done a small film a small dinner for six and then the next year for ten and then last twenty and then last year was like thirty five and I invite all these British filmmakers that I know and love so last year we had like thirty five people in literally the kitchen of the firehouse that included Chris McQuarrie, who writes and directs uh, Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. and he brought Tom, uh, Tom Cruise. <gasps> and so everyone wow. was a flutter. And Christian Amapur came, and Tom Hooper, and Stanley Tucci, and it was great. So, and Barbara Broccoli. And, and the best thing was watching Barbara Broccoli, 007, discuss release dates with Chris McQuarrie, Mission Impossible. And, <laughs> and Chris was saying, oh, it doesn't matter when they're releasing my film. I don't have an ending. And Barbara's saying, excuse me, you're shooting without an ending. I would never get away with that. <laughs> so Barbara turned to me and said, well, we must do a dinner for you. And then uh, I was in L.A. about six weeks ago, and Jessica de Rothschild said, I'll call cousin Jacob, Lord Jacob Rothschild, mm-hmm. and we'll get you Spencer House, which is Princess Diana's ancestral home that Jacob 
bought and restored and has a 99-year lease on, and it's unbelievable. It's the largest private home in London. So I get, oh, yeah, right. So in like 12 hours, oh, Cousin Jacob has emailed he'd love to have us. So then I said to, to <laughs> Jessica, well, you need to be a co-host also because your husband's a director, and we need to network for your husband. Yeah, so right, Bar- right, right. Barbara Broccoli, 007, moi, little old me, and Jessica de Rothschild hosted a dinner, and 100 famous filmmakers came. It was on a Wednesday, so not everyone who had been to the nominees lunch could actually get there in time, which was okay because it was mostly English. And, and it was the first time that so many British titles and aristocratic Brits had had, lun- had, had dinner with these genius uh, filmmakers. Mm. And it was amazing. And we had everyone from Lord and Lady Astor, who are my great friends, William and Annabelle, and her daughter is Samantha Cameron, Sam Cam. So she sure. came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, then, yeah. then Annabelle realized it was a hot dinner, and she invited six other relatives. It was fine. Her entire family was there. Um, one daughter was the editor of, of Vogue, etc. And so we had... Um, everyone from, okay, Lord Astor, Sir Evelyn, Sir, uh, 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 Sir Evelyn Rothschild, Jacob Rothschild. We had a Polish prince. We had um, Prince Pavlos of Greece, Marie Chantal of Greece. And then we had Tom Stoppard and Stephen Daldry and David Heyman and Tom Cruise and Eddie Redmayne and Elisa Vikander and Stanley Tucci and Jeffrey, really? Jeffrey Rush. It, it, it just... And t- we should have sent a Terry Vanity Gilli- Fair photographer. No, Terry seriously. Gilliam and, and Christopher Hampton. It just went on and on wow. and on, and and it was amazing. It was amazing, and it was a, it was no red carpet, no sponsorship, no photographers. That really yeah. killed me. No photographers. We had a photo <laughs> and booth. That actually, it's kind of we, a nightmare. We had a photo <laughs> booth, and everybody dressed beautifully, and it was three crazy chicks inviting these people That's to come fabulous. have a dinner. And we did the seating where where one person was your best friend and the other one was going to be your new best friend. Mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. was amazing, just wow. amazing. So we might do it again next year. So that was cool. that was Wednesday. That was a <laughs> slow, right. well, we, slow we, Wednesday. We've got your voice now. We're right. good. We're good. We, we, okay. we don't <laughs> and, then, and then Thursday I went to see Master Builder. And, yeah. and, and there was also a party for the 100 years, 100 years of British Vogue. But I went to Master Builder with um, Heather and Chris... Macquarie, and they brought Tom again, Cruz, and Jessica and so her a husband, lot of Tom Sasha. Cruise a lot of Tom Cruise. Wow. Um, anyway, no, I, I'm sorry. We went to the theater on Tuesday. Wednesday was the party. I forget what I did Thursday. Peggy, I have to stop you. Let's start. Let's, go. The, let's start the thing. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. We're here with Peggy Siegel, uh, living legend of New York City. Can I say that? The goddess of New York Oscar goddess season. Goddess of New York. Is okay. Good. Goddess of New York, um, who uh, hosts all the best uh, events during Oscar season and beyond. And wanted to talk to you a little bit, first of all, about how you got into this business, and then we got we got to find out who's going to win all the Oscars, because I know that you know more than anybody. I try. So, you know, you had this fabulous story in the New York Times the other day. Everybody's On been Sunday, reading February about you. On Sunday, February 14th, yeah. to be exact. <laughs> and, and Photo t- above the fold. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's a this big incredible. photo, beautiful photo. Yeah. Big, beautiful yeah. photo. Yeah. So how did, you, how did you get into being the Oscar host of New York City? Started as a fashion designer, got into publicity. Uh, I always worked with, with directors and with studios, never really mm-hmm. did personal representation. It kind of evolved where I sort of got into doing these special events at the end of, the, of a campaign, doing the premieres. And then I always worked on these quality films, and all these films were always nominated for Oscars. So I was sort of brought along 
into the Oscar campaigns. And then um, I've always been relatively creative about the marketing of films and was the first to tell the studios they didn't need to go to the Ziegfeld. They could go to a, a small room with 100 people if they had the right 100 people and the talent. It would cost um, much less and get the right. same publicity. So the thing is we applied this to the Oscar campaigns as well, where basically there's 6,200 all right, here we go, the diversity situation. Old white yeah. Jewish men, yeah. you know, three women of a certain age, I am one of them, who belong. And um, and so we decided that th- that all this red carpet hysteria did really not help the, um, the voters really get to know the filmmakers and the film they thought they made, they intended to make or they actually made. So we started doing these lunches with... Um, these Q&As, these panel discussions. I call it lunch and learn or a press conference wrapped in a piece of chicken. And they were very, <laughs> we started a few years ago and they were very, very successful. And this year they really took off. So we either do a brunch, a lunch, a tea, a cocktail party, or a dinner. And, every, and sometimes you do all of them all, in one day. One, day, yeah. one yeah. day, January 4th, we did five in one day without one costume change for me. I went from morning <laughs> to night in the same outfit because I didn't have time to go home and change. And um, so, it, But the thing that's so successful about them is that the talent from the film comes, the actors and the director and the screenwriter and the, sometimes the producer, and we get an amazing moderator, and they talk about the film to like 100 people in the room. And you're inches away from everybody. There's a cocktail hour from 12.30, cocktail half hour, 12.30 to 1, where everyone can chat and then you sit down. And it, I mean, I send a timeline into the kitchen. That's how exact yeah. it is. And the press uh, conference starts at one thirty and goes for an hour, and you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And, and how much has this changed? I mean, you, you've obviously helped change it, but people talk about how Oscar campaigning is such a thing now. Well, no, Harvey invented it. Let's call a spade okay. a spade. Harvey right. was the one that perfected, refined uh, uh, this campaign. I always thought that Clinton taught him how to do this. I don't know why. Bill Clinton? Mm. It was just my, my guesstimate. He'll probably deny right. it and say I'm an idiot. But I always thought that Bill was right behind all this. And it's, <laughs> and it's, it's hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. It's really he, – he started the phoning campaign, which they've outlawed. Everything that Harvey started, there's never been outlawed because <laughs> he's taken it to such excess. Right. But, I mean, I will tell you one of the most famous campaigns was the, um, the King's Speech, where everyone thought that the social network was going to win – and, and we kind of knew differently because they had gone to the press, to the media, to promote that film. And we knew that it was the voters that really had to see the film and fall in love with it and find a mantra called Find Your Voice. So we spent the last uh, two months, well, six weeks or so, until the announcements, screening the film day and night to all the Academy voters and bringing in all the actors from Australia and London and you know New York and everything. Right. Um, uh, the film was first shown in Toronto and... Colin Firth literally won the Oscar after that first screening, and then he did 53 red carpet appearances. So that's the criteria. When when these actors, like I turn to Leo, I'm going, 53 red carpet appearances, and they choke. They die, <laughs> and they go, no, it can't be. I said, it has to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you want to win. You need to go out there, and you really need to campaign. And then there are people— Have you discussed that with Leo this year? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has. And he's, he was, he was oh, open to it? Oh, I mean, it? bit the bullet, of course. I mean, yeah. he, last year I saw him at a party in uh, St. Bart's at Christmas, and he said, Siegel, who's going to win the Oscars? I have to call my bookie. Right. So <laughs> I said, all right, Leo. Uh, well, uh, Julianne Moore is going to win for her fourth nomination. So he said, well, when am I going to win? I've had four nominations. I said, when you're in a wheelchair, you'll get the Irving Thalberg Award. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy about that. So uh, literally a year later... 
We come back. We're at the same party. And, of course, he had this huge beard, and he looked like a bear. And, yeah. and I'm going, what are you doing here? He said, the camera's froze. I have six weeks off. So then a year later, we come back. And he says, okay, Siegel. I said, you're winning. This year, you're winning. Six nominations, including one producing credit. It's your year. You're winning. And, and I said, you've got, to, you've got to do the campaigning. You have got to go to the mats because you're going to win. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not the only person that said this to him. Yeah. Agents and press agents and confidants and friends and studio people. And he did it with, with grace and with class. And he wrote all his own speeches. And he was perfect. Just perfect. Why do you think this is the year that he will win? What is it about this Timing. performance oh, for him? Oh, for him? Um, he um, fought the elements. It was excruciatingly difficult yeah. to make this film, yeah. um, which was made apparent. It's about American history. Um, he physically transformed himself into another human being. Uh, it has, oddly enough, it has... A, a sparse script, and he conveys am- amazing emotion with not saying a lot, yeah. um, which is completely opposite from Michael Fassbender, who had a 180-page script and was just great mm-hmm. portraying Steve Jobs. And this was quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was due. Yeah. So when you're in the room with someone like Leo or Harvey Weinstein and they're campaigning like this, what, can, what do you see in the voters? How do you know when something's clicked with them, that they are just all over somebody? Well, if you go to other award shows, you can measure the applause. Mm. When their film is announced or the particular actor is announced, you can see if they get a standing ovation and if everyone stands up and applauds because all the voters are in the room, whether it's the PGA, the Writers Guild, the Golden Globes, whatever. There, there's a few hundred voters in that room. And, and if everyone screams, you know, well... I mean, a hundred years ago, Michael Douglas won a Golden Globe for Wall Street One, and he got a rousing, hysterical standing ovation. I go, okay, he just won the Oscar. Well, and that's what got, happened with Sylvester yeah. Stallone this year at yeah. the Golden Globes when he won, and there was a standing ovation. I think everyone said, "Oh, this no, is no, it. I knew beforehand." Oh, well, because, <laughs> please tell us how you knew because well, we were all because on that on that day where we did five in one day, my personal best. At the end of the day, we did a dinner at Patsy's, which is this Italian that. restaurant yeah. that Sinatra used to go to. So we did this dinner for about a hundred voters and some and media people and friends upstairs at Patsy's, and we had a Q and A, which Gail King conducted, and they were cheering for his answers. I mean, Rocky would give an answer, yeah. and they'd cheer, right? And you go, all right, he won. Done. That's amazing. You <laughs> right. knew there. Right. Well, and it was, wow. a micro, it was like 100 people as opposed to 6,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you just knew that 40-year story and how 40 years ago the film won. I think it beat out all the president's men, something like that, mm-hmm. 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, but but uh, Sly didn't win. The film won. And it's 40 years, years later, and the um, emotional and, and, and uh, social breakdown of the academy is older men who say well 40 years later he's still active that that character still survives and has changed with the times it was um an african-american director an african-american star michael b jordan and completely relevant to their lives as well let's pause for a word from our sponsor in Forevermark's pursuit of absolute beauty every Forevermark diamond undergoes a journey of rigorous selection That's why less than 1% of the world's diamonds are worthy of the Forevermark inscription, a promise of beauty, rarity, and responsible sourcing. Each Forevermark diamond originates at a carefully selected source that provides benefits to its country and local community. This ensures that a Forevermark diamond helps improve the lives of those involved in its journey so you can feel proud to give, own, or wear your Forevermark diamond. Forevermark. A diamond is forever. Find your design at forevermark.com. 
Now, let's talk about the diversity thing. Why? And all the... <laughs> you don't want to talk you, about don't it? Don't you want to know who's going to win the Oscars? Yes, we're going to get to it real quick. Here's one thing. You yeah. know a lot of these voters. Yes. Obviously, a lot of them are, are annoyed by the idea that people who are haven't been working are going to be you know stripped of their the voting. The whole thing is a travesty. Um, yes, there are. The academy is broken and needs to be fixed, and there needs to be more diversity. And And the thing that they did not address the morning of the nominations, where I was actually sitting there watching all this going on, is that it's about um, race. It's about gender. There are no women in the academy. Mm-hmm. It's about age. Mm-hmm. You don't get into your olds. So by the time you get in, you work a few years, and then you're just in. Um, and about disability. You know, and there are people who... Um, like Marley Maitland and people like that who make films, and there are not very many of those people in the Academy as well. Um, What no one really spoke about is that there were 1,200 actors who nominated those 20 actors, and they may all primarily be white, and they may be older Jewish guys. They They are not racist. They are completely liberal. They really know filmmaking, and they chose the best performances that they thought they saw and they could. And the problem is that when you have um, from eight to ten best films, and you only have five nominations for director and five nominations for actor, actress supporting, there's always a six and seven slot that you get, why didn't they get in? So last year it happened with David Oviello. He didn't get in for acting. There was a whole uproar about Martin Luther King and, and, and that film. And this year it was about Idris Elbers and Will Smith. Well, Idris' film was a Netflix film. It was very violent. It was the first year that Netflix got into the race. There was a little bit of resistance there. Not everyone saw the film. It was a great performance. And he was the number six, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Will yeah. Smith, he was na- number six and a half or seven. Yeah. Um, concussion uh, was a difficult sell. He was fantastic in it. Being a major football fan, I loved the film. I worked on that film. I worked on on Beast of No Nation as well. I worked on all of them. Um, and and I could understand the frustration of both those actors and the disappointment. But I do not believe in my heart of hearts that the Academy is racist. No, but I, I think you but you put your finger on it. It's not that any individual person is racist, but that if the makeup is mostly older Jewish guys, which is something that very that patriotic, said, very liberal. Sure. But they have a certain point of view on things. And so one logical way to change it is say, let's make sure that the voting body is more okay. is so, more diverse. All right. So if you put in more diverse people, do they automatically vote for diversity? I mean, well, you have I, I to don't... vote for the quality of the performance and the film. Right. But everyone's everyone's lens on quality is going to be somewhat dependent on what their, their, their emotional, their their emotional reaction is. to the film. Yes, yeah. I totally agree with but, you. But what about the, the, the voters that you know? Do you know voters who are angry that they feel that they, they're being kind of shunted off? Yes. And... Where, all of a sudden, they decide, well, we're going to fix this by getting rid of the retired people. What do you want from them? Those are the right. rules. You let them in late. They grew old. They're retired. They they come to all the screenings. They they love it. They're yeah. devoted. They vote. So throw them out? Yeah. I mean, that's not fair. You can change the rules and fade them out, but don't throw them out. Yeah. So they feel like they're really being kicked yes. out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the rules were, if so, you have to be renewed every 10 years, or if you're in for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I ran to my wallet, opened up my card. 1986, I was a member. 
I got in under the gun. I've been an active member for 30 years. They cannot get rid of me. There you okay. go. I don't think anyone uh, would argue you're not active now, though. I think that's a pretty hard right. sell to make. I'm going to, like, die in my chair. <laughs> okay. Say, all, right. all right. Let's talk about who's going to win. Who's going to okay. win? Uh, let's start well, with, what do you want to start I was going to do best picture because we, uh, you know. Yeah. Look, it's kind of a three-way race between the big short, Spotlight, and, and The Revenant. And The Revenant is magnificent filmmaking. It's really majestic. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what they what they they want something very important. Now, on the other hand, Spotlight is an amazing story and globally has kind of changed the world. Um, and that film is really a writer's film. The same thing with Adam McKay, brilliant. I mean, he worked for Saturday Night Live for ten years. He started out doing broad comedy with Will Ferrell. This is his first serious film. He has worked and worked and worked. He's gone to. Washington. He's gone to the White House. He's gone to Congress. He's gone to Brookings Institute. He's done everything humanly possible to give his film gravitas, although it's a serious comedy. And mm-hmm. it's always harder for comedies to win. Do you think there's any hesitation within the Academy to reward the same director two years in a row with Best Director? Well, as far let me, as far, there's this, the DP Chivo, they call him Chivo. Yeah. Um, uh, Everyone sort of wants to make history with him mm-hmm. because this will be his third year in a row. Um, he did Gravity, Birdman, and yeah. now this. So everybody, everybody likes to make history. Yeah. And, and at first we thought there was a resistance to giving it to Alejandro two years in a row. But now I think that, that Alejandro and the Revenant is part of this historic vote going along with Chivo. The mm-hmm. other thing is that Leo is so strong this year. So strong. I kept saying to Leo, go stand next to Alejandro. Maybe some of your star power will, <laughs> will that fairy dust. <laughs> sprinkle a little of your fairy dust on Alejandro. Go, so, go stand next to him. Um, is anyone talking about, uh, about the diversity question with Alejandro? Is that oh, helpful yes, for people yes. too? Well, I went to um, – I was in L.A. I went for the Golden Globes and stayed three weeks because it was snowing in New York and I couldn't get home. And I didn't want to go home. <laughs> and so I, I ended up going to the Broadcast Film Critics Awards and the – PGA and the SAG Awards, which we'll talk about in one second, and 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 the morning of the SAG Awards and the the, the directors' awards, the DGAs, they do a symposium and they have the five nominees come up and do uh, like at the DGA, they do it at the DGA and they have like a three-hour conversation on the making of the movie and they did and I so I went to the Producers Guild symposium and Alejandro said this is the first question was about diversity and he said I'm Mexican, I was born in Mexico. I left 15 years ago. I've been living here. I no longer really fit in to Mexico. I've, I've been away. I'm part of the American culture. And I'm not really American. I'm sort of nowhere. And I'm Latino, and I fit into this diversity. So uh, I think that was a, um, a talking point that really resonated with the voters mm-hmm. about, about his Mexican background. Right, because they are self-conscious about this stuff. They do want to be seen as progressive, and they, they, this is very painful for them. Let this me say, the, the Academy is mortified. Yeah. Mortified. The members are mortified. Yeah. You, you cannot turn on a talk show, late-night talk show, without them making fun of the Academy. Yeah. I mean, every time there's another award show, there's a joke about the Academy. And, and the 6,200 members of the Academy are not happy campers. Yeah. This is yeah. something they weren't looking for. Right. Do you right. think that there's going to be a real strong motivation to fix it next year and like really look toward diverse films that are uh, coming down the Well, bike? it's really hard to fix it in one year. There's a film that was um, bought for $17.5 million at Sundance this year about Nat Turner. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a first-time director. He wrote it. He yeah. directed it's it. It's Nate Parker. Nate he, Parker. He, well, you're talking about uh, audience response. He, uh, I was at the, the premiere at Sundance. He got a standing ovation, Nate Parker, when he walked out to introduce the film. So there's already a lot of... 
of support and, for the movie. And he was offered $20 million from Netflix, and he took $17.5 million mm-hmm. from Fox Searchlight, who brought yeah. you 12 Years a Slave, which is another campaign I worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and because they know how to do it, and because they did 12 Years, I mean, I not to digress, but I worked on 12 Years, and nobody wanted to see this film because of the violence. Yeah. And I would sit up, and I'm famous for sending these passionate emails in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I would be sending Nancy Utley and Jim Giannopoulos emails at one o'clock in the morning. Here are 10 more people that won't see your film. I mean, major voters will not see your film. So finally, we kept saying, we need a mantra. We need a mantra. So two weeks before the ballots closed, they came out with, it's time. Yeah. And, 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 and That's a, Hillary's slogan this year, isn't it? Well, wait. And a Fox executive had told me that a Fox Searchlight executive was driving around L.A. and saw a billboard for a basketball team that said, it's time. And he said, oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. We can use it. <laughs> and it's time meant that you didn't have to see the film, but you had to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's why this diversity issue right now is so heartbreaking to these members, because they're not racist. I mean, last year when the thing came out about David O. Yellow O. Yeah. And, um, the produ- and the director, Ava DuVernay, yeah. I literally went to a Q&A that Oprah was giving and Pete Hammond was standing right there. And afterwards she came off the stage when we were outside at like the Westwood Theater, whatever, one of those. What was, and she said, hi, Peggy. And I said, all right, all right she knows me. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to say you are wrong about racism in the academy. You've got to stop this. It's about the voting system. Yeah. And she looked at me because no one really speaks to Oprah like that. And Pete Hammond said, she's right. She, she's right. You've got to listen to what she said. They, they were sort of like casualties of the number system. But I understand what you're saying, that, that if there was a more diverse membership and they fixed the number system, we wouldn't have this problem. Right, right. Yeah, well, it's obviously a complex problem, and it, it's not just the Oscars, right? It's Hollywood. It's how it's the the, they, the they films got Obama. that get. They got a, I was they got Obama to to comment on this. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's the country. But I just want to go back to something else. You didn't mention best documentary, which yeah. is Amy is going to win a Capedia, mm-hmm. which I mean, I think he won the minute he showed his documentary in Cannes. And and, um, oddly enough, a few years ago, he did a documentary called Senna, which was not even shortlisted at the Academy and won the BAFTA. Right. So he was really apprehensive about the Academy um, nominating him. And he's he's won the BAFTA. And it looks like he's going to win that. Let's talk about supporting actors has been the most baffling one for us this year. So right. you're you're going for Alicia. So Bikander. we said well, Leo's a lock. We said Brie Larson, Brie Larson. Yes. is a lock. Okay, um, and we said Stallone's a lock. Yes. Yeah. All right. So um, best supporting actress is between Alicia Vikander and Kate Winslet. Yeah. And um, Alicia was up for two Baftas, one for best actress for the Danish Girl and one for supporting for Ex Machina at the Baftas, and she lost both. And um, uh, and Kate uh, won the Golden Globe. Golden Globe and the BAFTA, yeah. Yes. And, and the, the BAFTA. Golden Globes where Alicia was also nominated yes, as a lead. Yes, right. Um, but Alicia won SAG. Yes. yes. Yeah, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, because the largest voting block in the Academy is the actors. And she's adorable, and she's getting the, the, the Lupita Fashion Award this year. Every time she comes out, she's got a, one dress is better than the next. Right. And she's right. very friendly and charming and sweet. And everybody loves her. And she's worked with everyone in one. I mean, because she was in so in, many in movies. Like this she made ten films in yeah. three minutes, and yeah. everyone loves her. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. And she and she's living with Michael Fassbender. It's right. Which is perfect life. And she just had the powerful. cover of Vogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, what yeah. more? Yeah. I mean, I had one lousy shot with Patrick Demarchier an hour ago. <laughs> she had the cover of Vogue. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so, so Alicia, um, 
she, uh, it, I can't tell you, because the, she, there was such a brouhaha in, in London. Kate was on the cover of every newspaper the next day with Leo, because 19 years ago they had made Titanic. Right, right. And so I'm not sure if that is going the, to resonate with the voters they either want her or don't. I'm not sure how influential the BAFTAs will be. If the if they look to the uh, BAFTA uh, wins and they somehow see all those covers or realize how excited the Brits were to give her this award and how much they love her, that could influence her winning the Oscar. Yeah. Although Alicia has been around the States much longer and she has been working it and going to all these Q&As and, and, and uh I don't know. My, I don't know why my gut is Alicia, but I could be wrong. And we didn't do Best Foreign Film, yeah. which is Son of Saul, yeah. which yeah. is another film that it's a Holocaust film. How many Holocaust films have we seen? We have never seen a film like this. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, yeah. it was premiered at Cannes. Yeah. And, and there's you know another a French film called Mustang, which is wonderful. Again, premiered at Cannes. But I do think that um, this film is so unusual and so brave, and a first-time director. Uh, and it's Sony Pictures Classics, and they're good at this, and I think it will probably win. I, I went to an event you had for Son of Saul. At, with Ellie like, Wiesel? Yeah, oh, yeah, and um, and the, you know there was the Q&A with the director and the star afterward, yeah. and I th- everyone was just so taken by a thing. I just kind of got, in a sense, in that, again, you know, like you said, it's a small room, not that many people, but yeah. just re- just kind of getting the energy. It was like, oh, this movie and, is And is as it. quoted yeah. in the Sunday Times, every Jew wants to meet Ellie Wiesel. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go. And I think you, like, you yeah. said that Son of Saul is the kind of movie, like 12 Years a Slave, that people might vote for even without seeing it. Yeah. Just know that it's the right Such thing to do. Such an important film. Yeah, exactly. It's Such, an amazing film. Yeah. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Little Gold Men is sponsored by Squarespace.com. If you wanted to start your own Oscar blog and compete with the likes of Gold Derby and VanityFair.com, you could. With Squarespace, you can make sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with coding. There is no coding required, in fact. It has intuitive and easy-to-use tools, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GOLDMEN, G-O-L-D-M-E-N, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build a beautiful. Also, getting back to this diversity, I think that the Academy really supported 12 Years a Slave. And as I said, it was a really tough film. And I, and I said to the director, to Steve um, McQueen, we want you to win this Oscar. It's so violent. It's so difficult because of the violence. He said, the book was worse. Like, <laughs> get over it. Yeah. The book was worse. Okay, yeah. Steve. Sorry I brought that up. Um, but... Um, so I don't know. I think it's been an interesting year. I think Mad Max is going to get editing, costume, makeup, production design. I think they'll go. George Miller will go home with maybe four Oscars yeah. for his movie. Yeah, which uh, is great for a big May action movie. Yeah, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. pretty rare. So that's pretty, that's exciting. And and you know, and he doesn't live here and he doesn't come here very yeah. often. And it's really his body of work is something that's propelling his all these. Uh, nominations as well, and the film's amazing. It's great, it's amazing. And yeah. score, you think will go to Hateful Eight, Marconi? Well, that was at the Baftas. He's eighty-six years old. Yeah. I don't know how many Oscars he's won. Um, None. He has an honorary, but an he's honorary. never won a competitive Oscar. Well, you see, sometimes those stories really work in yeah. in, in your favor. I mean, I, I'm assuming he will. I mean, he's my favorite composer, um, and I and I I think he's coming. I've heard that he's coming to the Oscars. Oh, okay. Who's the uh, who's the most kind of beloved person on the circuit this year? I feel like Eddie Redmayne just lit it up last year. Uh, who's, and and, who's and Eddie's, it best? Eddie, Eddie was in production on the new prequel to Harry Potter. I yeah. think Eddie was relieved that he didn't have to go out and campaign again. He did so much last year and so brilliantly. Yeah. And um, 
I think that his campaigning was one of the factors, in addition to this brilliant performance, that helped him get that that Oscar away from Michael Keaton. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What was the question? Well, who is there uh, anyone who's the star of the scene this year of the, of the circuit? Um, Leo. Leo. Mm. Leo is the flavor of the moment. Yeah. Are all the other Best Actor nominees kind of grateful they don't have to campaign as hard because they know Leo has yes. a locked up? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I must tell you that I do this for a living, and the actors just really have a tough time doing it. Yeah. Uh, and they feel, as many filmmakers do, that the work is on the screen. And why do we have to go any further? And on the other hand, these voters want to feel like they're uh, catered to. They want people to explain to them or talk to them about why their films are important. And they want to do the right thing. They want to vote for the right film, what they feel is the best film of the year. And it's also a global statement. When the Academy picks the best film of the year, that news goes around the world as this is our best cultural um, a product of the year. And it's very important about what the um, intellectual content is of that of that film. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much, Peggy, for giving us your time. I know this is a busy time of year for you. Yeah, well, this was great. Thank yeah. you. And, uh, and the ballots are out. And everybody who's listening, if you're an Academy member, go vote. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. I hope we have lots of Academy members listening. That does it for this week's special Peggy Siegel edition of Little Gold Men. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we have a lot of Oscar season stuff coming up as Oscar season wraps up. So it's an exciting time to start listening. So recommend it to your friends. Uh, you can find all of us at VanityFair.com, writing about award season and all kinds of other stuff. And you can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And Mike? Uh, Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard. Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. This episode was produced by Sam Ningman, and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for best effort to rub one person's stardust onto another goes to Peggy Siegel. I kept saying to Leo, go stand next to Alejandro. Maybe some of your star power. Well, <laughs> well that fairy dust. Sprinkle a little of your fairy dust on Alejandro. Go, go, go stand next to him. <laughs>